I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Now, I've known today's guest for quite a long time, but today is the first time that I've been able to turn the tables on him. Randy McElvoy is a four-time Emmy Award-winning sports anchor and reporter. His love of sports started on the baseball field, but it's grown to include nearly every single sport played at every level. Randy says he's had more memorable moments in his career than he can count, but he dishes about a few of his favorites with us here today. I even found out that reporters can actually get nervous to interview athletes. And Randy also shared with us a couple of things that surprised him about some really popular professional players. In our conversation, we talk about how to get into the sports media world, what athletes can do to best prepare themselves for media interviews, and the qualities he's noticed that all high caliber athletes tend to share. The absolute best way you can help support this podcast and allow us to keep bringing you these inspiring and resourceful episodes for free is to simply subscribe to The Pursuit of Gold on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. Give us a five-star rating and a raving review. Our goal here at The Pursuit of Gold is to help equip you to reach your peak performance through these powerful conversations. It just takes a minute for you to subscribe, rate, and review us, but it will help us continue to bring you more powerful content to help you reach your biggest goals. All right, I believe that there is gold in your future, so let's dive on into this episode. Randy McAvoy, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I kind of feel like we're turning the tables a little bit today, and I get to interview the reporter. <laughs> that and I, hey, that doesn't happen very often, and I feel the same way. I'm usually interviewing you, so we're going to have a good time here. A lot to get into, I bet. I think so. How long have we known each other now? Since like the early mid 2000s, somewhere in there. Yeah, I I came here in Houston. Uh, I, I'm from Houston, and I came back home in uh, 04. So at that point, you'd already been to Sydney and, and everything, and I definitely had heard of you and knew what you'd accomplished. But we probably crossed paths starting then when you were kind of getting ready for the 04 games probably, and then uh, you went back in 08. So, yeah, it goes back a while, I think. Nice, nice. Well, okay, now I want to go back to your history a little bit because I know you went to Bel Air High School here in Houston, and a little birdie, our friend Alan Reed, told me that you played baseball <laughs> there also, and I think you played in college as well, right? I did. Well, I walked on. I did. I played at Bel Air and uh, Bel Air's always had a really good baseball program for decades, really. And uh, so I was fortunate enough to, to get a chance to play there and uh, with some really good players. And I ended up walking on at Sam Houston State in Huntsville, not far from Conroe area, Woodlands area. And um, that would have been in the mid uh, mid 80s, 85, 86, 87 area. You know, just got a chance to pursue. That was kind of my dream. Like your dream was doing what you're doing with diving and the Olympic level. And my my dream was to to play college baseball. And I pretty much knew I was not going to have the skill set to take any further than that. But uh, you know what? I, I was able to walk on back then. Scholarships were were very rare in, in on the college baseball level. And um, a lot's changed since then now. But so I was able to walk on and given an opportunity for a couple of years and. You know what? After two years, I, I just I was behind all conference uh, experienced players. Just didn't you know? I got a chance. That's all I wanted, and uh, not enough playing time. And I knew uh, I needed to kind of refocus on what I want to do for my career. So, 
That's so cool. Did you always grow up loving baseball? I did. Baseball has always been this, my sport. I really have, have loved it. And my dad was a, uh, uh, who's 83 now, He's he was a college baseball player at Oklahoma State back in the, in the late 50s, 58, 59. And he was a member of their national championship team. Oh, wow. Uh, and so, and so they just, uh, a couple of springs ago, they had their 60-year anniversary, which is really cool, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And uh, so he, you know, he played at a, at a high level and uh, was a good teacher growing up. And so I, I just love being around it, going to Astro games as a kid in the Astrodome. And uh, oh yeah, you know, when they built built the stadium, Minute Maid Park was a lot of fun. So that that was my sport. I mean, I've enjoyed all of them, but as far as watching and playing, that that was definitely what I wanted to do. Oh, that's cool. I actually grew up going to games at at um, the Astrodome too. We had when I was in gymnastics, we would actually do little tumbling exhibitions before the games. So we would get like free <laughs> tickets, and then sometimes if we made good grades in school, like we could get tickets. And so my dad and I went to a bunch of games. Saw Nolan Ryan pitching, and um, nice. oh yeah, yeah. I I grew up loving the Astros too. My son actually he's seven. He just watched Field of Dreams the other day. I was yeah. so surprised that young he got into it, but he was really into it. <laughs> I mean, not a cool. That, I actually wanted visit that field one day oh that would be so awesome and, and now it's a big tourist thing you go to like, somewhere in middle iowa i think isn't it? well they, and, uh, they built it so we're coming right <laughs> yes that's right that's right so uh <laughs> one day I'll, I'll get there and check it out it's pretty cool that was a great movie that would be cool well okay i love talking to people who have made their love of sports into their careers like you have so did you always know that you wanted to be a reporter and sports anchor or how did that kind of develop well, it was weird because growing up as a kid, although playing sports was my passion, you know, I was fascinated and I, I'm trying to think how far back. I just said when I was a little kid, I definitely remember I loved watching the news. When the news was on, my parents had it on. It's like I was just fascinated by watching the people do what they do and then like tell stories from all over the United States, all over the world. Like, man, how'd they get pictures and video and this and that? <laughs> you know, how it all came together was just fascinating to me. So I was kind of hooked at an early age. And I was able to, at, at Bel Air High School, uh, which, again, back then, this would have been 83, 84, 85. Uh, it wasn't real high-tech area back then, obviously. <laughs> no, no cell phones, no laptops or anything like that. But our band director, of all people, was also fascinated by this audiovisual side of things at that time. And uh, he had, which is really rare, he had a setup from the, I always remember, from the band hall to the cafeteria at the school, he wired basically a cable. It was like cable TV, basically, through the ceiling into the, into the cafeteria from the band hall. And we did live newscasts. And this would have been, again, in an era that just wasn't, nobody ever heard of that, doing that for, <laughs> on a high school level. So I got to do that on Bel Air TV, of all things. And uh, we would do, you know, it probably looked just awful and terrible, but uh, we would do it. It would be live during the uh, a couple of lunch periods in the cafeteria. We just, you know, do school news or whatever. And basically a little makeshift newscast. So I was not that got me hooked even more. <laughs> and um, one reason I went to Sam Houston was not only to walk on baseball, and they just happened to have a, and still do, a really good broadcast journalism department that Dan Rather went to Sam Houston and really oh, wow. helped, helped fund a, a really state-of-the-art building and everything like that. So uh, anyway, that's kind of how I got hooked, to be honest with you. Just, I was started at a young age and never understood how it worked, but I just knew it was something pretty cool looking. And then and that I wanted to do one day, and it's worked out. I, I sure hope there is an old video from that 
Bel Air live TV <laughs> program. That would be so amazing to see young uh, Randy <laughs> covering. I would love, actually, I would love to see that too. I've got some college stuff that's pretty bad. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, I would love to see some high school stuff. That would be pretty cool. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So did you know right away, because it, it sounds like you knew you wanted to do broadcasting. So yeah. did you know just sports or was it kind of anything? You know what? I was open to anything, but just my love of sports and when, especially when, when my college run ended in baseball, you know, being around that, that atmosphere and that environment was really appealing to me. So I stuck at that point, to be honest with you, I stuck with sports, but breaking into TV, you know, I, I would have been willing to do whatever. Now, now I wasn't going to be a weather guy. I tell you that, <laughs> but, um, and I really did not want to do news. I didn't want to chase, you know, all the negative stuff out there. I, you know, I wanted to cover sports. I wanted to tell stories. I, I, you know, I wanted to interview people and that takes time to kind of learn a skill set to do that. Cause you're not going to really know how to do it early on. You make a lot of mistakes, but being around sports is what I wanted. It, it kind of kept you close to it. Mm-hmm. And even though you weren't competing anymore. So I would say that was the route I wanted to go. And so many doors open for me. Uh, Laura, I can't even tell you how many doors open in college, uh, especially once I quit playing baseball. And internships open for me. Uh, I was able to intern here in Houston at KHOU, the CBS. Interned here at Channel 2, where I am. I actually won an internship through a contest I entered through Associated Press or something. (laughs) And the the prize was a summer internship here at KPRC Channel 2, where I am now. And it was was paid. And I got like $4 an hour. It was really cool back then. uh, (laughs) $4 an hour. It it was. I still still have the sheet that tells me that I got the internship. And then what it would pay me was like 4 bucks an hour. I was like, okay, I'll do it. I'll sign me up. I'll do it. Uh, but anyway, so many doors open. And through that is where I was able to learn so much, make mistakes. And uh, and then I was able to, my last probably year and a half of college, I got hired at uh, Channel 13, the ABC here in Houston, as a weekend sports producer. So I would uh, help put together sportscasts because the, the main guy would, would work during the week. So I worked for a sportscaster named Tim Melton who you may know, uh, I don't know if you remember him or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim was a great mentor to me and learned so much from him. And uh, But I would give up my weekends. I would go to school during the week, and I was home every weekend working 12, 15 hours a day, whatever it took, and, um, and then go back to school late Sunday night, Monday morning early, and do it again. So, you know, you, you had to do that and, and take advantage of opportunities, and a lot came my way. I was really blessed to have a lot of chances to do that. Well, that's so cool. Well, how about for like any tips for maybe former athletes wanting to pursue, you know, sports reporting also like is the best way to get into it doing a college program or is it something you can break into after college also? Or is that just harder? I, th- I think now if you're an athlete, such I mean, you've done broadcasting, you know what it's about, too. If you're an athlete already beyond that, you could definitely break in just being around it and put yourself in position like you've done with the Olympics as well. You know, if you're if you're younger and you're in school, yeah, I would probably say try to find a program that has a good reputation. Sam Houston, U of H, Texas Tech, uh, Texas. Uh, most schools have actually pretty good ones. Some are even better than others. But if you can and you're in school, get involved with that, major in that, try to minor in something that can help tie into that, whether it's English, you know, something just to – because. It's changed so much now from when I did it. You, you know, now it's not just you're on the air, you're doing this and that. I mean, you're still right. You got to be a good writer. You got to be able to write and tell stories in a 
a short, concise way. You can't be long-winded. Right. Uh, and now with the, obviously with the importance of websites now and social media, I mean, my job now and everybody that does what I do now, it's not just, hey, you're on this five, six, and 10 sports every night. You've got, what are you doing for social media now? What are you doing for our website? You have a lot of different jobs, so you got to really prepare yourself. So it's a lot different coming out of school now than it was, you know, 30 something years ago for me. And uh, you got to have a skill set that's a little bright, uh, broader now uh, that can kind of separate yourself from from others trying to get after these jobs. But yeah, it could definitely be done and and jump in whether you're reporting or anchoring or an on-site event analyst. There's all kinds of things you could do and develop and get opportunities. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of things that go into um, the news and and all the producing that you guys do. There's so many people involved. Um, What would you say is the most um, important maybe attribute or character trait you would need to have to do what you do? Well, I I think you've got to have, I tell people this a lot, you don't always have to have a type A personality, but you've got to be, you can't just sit back and let it come to you. I mean, and you know this as a high level athlete, you've got to work hard. You got to put the time in to get yourself to that level of, in your case, being an Olympian. In my case, you know, doing what I do in a market the size of Houston, you know, it's different from, I mean, actually it's not different from going to, in a small market. You've still got to work just as hard. You've got to grind. You've got to grind. You've got to always look to improve what you're doing. You can always look back and say, man, I can, you know, I could have written that story better. I could have delivered it better on camera because you're doing what I do. You're, you got a camera on you. You got to deliver it. You got to have fun. You got to, there's different things you got to try to do and accomplish. When you do some live and some recorded too, right? That's a different Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Cause if you, if you're taped, if you mess up, you can do it again. So right. <laughs> I always, always like live as far as the broadcast, you know, interviews and stuff are always on tape and stuff like that. And that's even better too, because if I mess up a question or somebody I'm interviewing, don't like the way they say something. They say, hey, can we do, do that one again? Yeah, it's not a problem at all. But uh, live kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit. And, you know, <laughs> you, you keep it conversational. You have fun. And you make the most of your time uh, when you're on the air and uh, try to make people come back night after night to watch. Right. What do you think the hardest aspect of your job is, the most difficult part? Personally, I would say finding a balance because you could easily let this job that we do this profession kind of consume you if you don't find a balance between that and family life and just, you know, you can't let it control everything you do. Now you still got to work hard and do what it takes to get the job done. Now, professionally, uh, I would say just developing relationships is critical. You got to earn trust from people to, you know, make sure they know you're not out to get on me or whatever it might be. Cause there are a lot of them out there that will do that. And, um, you know, I've never been that way. I'm, I, I like to connect with people and tell stories. You know, uh, I've got to report the news and, you know, some things I say, if there's controversy, like, you know, we have something going on with one of our professional teams here in Houston right now. There's a lot of news every day. Part of my job is also to give my opinion. And that, that opinion may not be shared by everybody, may not be liked by everybody, but it's my opinion and based on what I see. But as far as one of the things you've got to do is you, and especially at this level, I think you've got to develop a lot of relationships with key people. Not only opens doors for stories, but it helps you get information. And, you know, when you build the trust, you know, they know they can talk to you, especially if it's off record or private, they know they can trust you with that information. 
and uh, you, you know, you're not going to, it's not going to backfire on it, basically. Right. Well, kind of along those lines, I, I wanted to ask you about that because as an athlete, especially when I was younger and I like was new being in front of media, like I kind of did feel like people were always out to get me because it was just such a foreign thing to me and I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, now having, you know, gotten to know a lot of the people who have been interviewing me over the years, like yourself, and I've actually been to the Olympics with NBC working with them, um, you know, and so I've seen the different side and I've seen that most of those people are really really just trying to tell a good story and they want to show you in the best light possible. But like you said, sometimes people are kind of out to get you. Like, is there maybe advice for athletes who are being interviewed on how to handle themselves? Like maybe how to discern whether to trust people or, you know what I mean? How, how to like maybe best approach the media being comfortable and not always being so on guard, if that makes sense. Right. No, that's a good question. And, um, I always think, you know, it's always best when the subject matter, the person being interviewed has some kind of relationship and uh, with the the reporter that always that always helps because there's a sense of trust there already from the get go. Now, if it's somebody you don't know, I always think that, you know, at least what I like to do, if I'm interviewing somebody I don't know, if I'm dealing with that person or maybe their their publicist or whoever might be in the early stages of setting up an interview, oftentimes they'll say, you know, what types of questions? They don't necessarily ask what questions you're going to ask. They usually mm-hmm. just say, you know, what's the subject matter going to be on? And that way, it, and especially ahead of the interview, it's a good way for, uh, again, if you deal directly with the person or their, their PR person, you can at least give them a gauge on kind of what they can prepare for and what types of questions may come their way. You know, main thing is try to, and sometimes it's hard when you're one-on-one really listen to what maybe the question is so you don't get thrown off guard. Keep your focus on that. It's always important. And, you know, if you feel like going in, there, that there could be some kind of negative type question that might come your way, be prepared for that. Uh, deflect it. If you don't feel comfortable answering it, there's certainly a lot of ways just to deflect the answer. Uh, you can flat out to say, yeah, I'm not real comfortable saying that, or however you want to, a person wants to answer it. There's ways to deflect it and yeah, that'll get the message usually to the reporter to move on. Gotcha. Well, I love I love that you're saying it's it's okay for athletes to ask beforehand, like, what types of questions are you going to ask me? Because I think sometimes, especially when we're younger, we don't have a lot of media exposure. And an athlete can get a little like, I don't know if I can say anything. I just have to, like, figure out how to do it on the fly. And so it's, you know, it's just a good reminder that, hey, you can ask what this is about, what we're going to talk about. Like, you can be comfortable asking those questions <laughs> beforehand. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's funny. You know, I do. We do a lot of high school coverage and over the years. And I, I see it a lot. You know, just imagine you're going to a high school and you're interviewing a high school uh, athlete, student athlete, he or she, and they, maybe they've never done it before. They mean, you know, they're not an established elite athlete that's kind of been through some of the media training. I mean, you feel bad for them. Some, sometimes they're really relaxed, but sometimes their lip is quivering. You could tell they're a nervous wreck. You sense that kind of stuff, and it, it helps you really just be kind of, When I see it, I just kind of, before we even start recording, I'll just say, hey, listen. I'm just having a conversation with you. Yeah. Uh, act like the kids. Easier said than done. Act like the camera's not there. <laughs> right. You got a big camera right in front of your face. But just, I said, just look at me. We're just, just act like it's you and me talking here. And that's, that's the, that's really for anybody to interview. I want them to feel that in that, that ease and in, in an environment where we're just talking here. And once you get in that relaxed setting, it becomes natural. Now, 
As you go further on out of high school, college, in your case, Olympian, professional, whatever sport, name the sport, you know, there's going to be more and more media demands and this and that coming your way. And you got to know, you know, when to say no. And that's good when you have the PR people handling that. And also just any media training you can get. Sometimes it's as it happens uh, throughout the course of uh, several years, you're going to get it naturally by doing them. But sometimes people uh, in organizations have media trainers that come in and really help athletes prepare for that. Uh, you see that, I'll, I'll use an example, in the NFL, for, for example, when the rookies come out after they're drafted, a lot of teams, not all of them, but a lot of teams, part of the early training, not long after the NFL draft in the spring or when they get going in the summer, on the property, on the, at the facilities, teams will bring in financial planners, uh, people that really start guiding some of these athletes, and also media training type stuff because they know what's coming. And that always helps, too, because it, it'll help you get comfortable in a sometimes a tense setting. You just never know where it's going to be. But a little bit of that goes a long way, I think. Yeah, definitely. That's such good advice. And I, I love how you said, just always think that you're just talking to the reporter. You're just having a conversation. You don't always, you usually don't even, they don't want you to look at the camera. So I think that's what we're just like, oh my gosh, where am I supposed to look? What am I supposed to do? So <laughs> I think that's great advice. Just have a conversation with the person asking the question, just like you would do with a friend. You know, I think that's awesome. And uh, right. And just yeah, like you're sitting around a table talking with somebody. Exactly. That's, that's, the, that's what you want to create, that kind of environment. Exactly. And and to to be, if that's something you know, if you're very shy or very introverted, and that's something that you struggle with, to definitely ask your, you know, your coach or your team manager or somebody within your sport, like if you're in a sport like mine, there are people within the organization that handle media that you can talk to about getting help or training or that they can be the person to say no to media requests if that's a struggle that you have to. So yes, always good to ask questions and not be afraid to go there. You got to do it. You got to do it. And uh, the more and higher level of an athlete you are, the more requests are going to come in. And that's you got to learn to say no, because if you say yes, it'll, it'll distract from what you're doing anyway. And you could pick and choose those times you want to really sit down and talk to somebody. Exactly. Okay. Well, and I love that you mentioned you cover high school, college, pro sports, Olympics, like you name it, you cover it. Right. So, and I'm sure you are probably not allowed to be biased in your role, but I'm going to ask anyway, <laughs> is there a certain sport or level of sports that you actually enjoy covering the most? Man, I like them. It's an answer you probably expect. I like them all. But, um, <laughs> you know, I really like... I'll just use in baseball, since I'm a baseball guy, I love covering all of baseball, but when it's playoff time and the World Series time, that's a game changer for me, just growing up around that sport. You know, the higher the stakes, the more you get into it, the way I look at it. Uh, NBA, same way. It's such a long season. You enjoy it, but you really don't get amped up until playoff time. High school sports, state championships are a blast, especially football that – you know, when they all, with the teams that make it to Arlington in, in non, non-COVID seasons, uh, <laughs> they'll have 45, 50,000 people show up at wow. Arlington Stadium for a high school state championship. Wow. Uh, great Texas atmosphere. football that, is real. <laughs> it it is real. football, yeah. It really is. And uh, one of, somebody, I've been asked before, what, what is one event that you would, you would say, and I don't know if this is one of your questions or not, Probably. but I'll tell you. Uh, I've always been asked because I've covered so many things over 30, almost 32 years now. What's one event? Just name one event that stands out to you. And the one I always tell people, a lot of them stand out, but one that stands out the most is I was with the guy you mentioned earlier, Alan Reed, back in 2004. 
five or six, whatever it was that January, uh, right after the football season, Texas played Southern Cal football at the Rose Bowl. Yes. And uh, Vince Young was the quarterback, being mm-hmm. a Houstonian. Anyway, we went out to California for a week and uh, covered the Longhorns. And I'd gotten to know Mac Brown pretty well when I was at Fox Sports Net before I came to Houston So because we covered the Big 12. So it was a really cool week, and I knew Vince a little bit. But uh, I'll always remember that as my – go-to event because the last five minutes of the game, Allen was already on the field, but they allowed the reporters to come on the field the last five minutes. And of course, if you remember that game, that was the best part. Yeah. Of the <laughs> and Vince Young, we were right on that end zone. And I'll always remember Vince Young ran in for that go-ahead touchdown, probably 15 yards from me and Allen. And I looked at Allen, I said, and he'd covered a lot over the years as well. I said, you do know we just witnessed one of the greatest all-time moments in college football history, right? Just want to make sure you do that. Uh, that was really cool. And I've covered Super Bowls and all kinds of championships, World Series. That event was really cool. That was a fun game to watch, even just on TV far, far away back here in Texas. Right. <laughs> uh, epic. I'll never forget it. Well, so is it hard to keep people excited in between the playoffs, the big events? Because you said sometimes, you know, the seasons can get a little long and it can get a little boring. And you're the one who has to keep people coming back every night to watch the news and watch all the reporting. So how do you keep people excited? It depends on the sport. But let's say baseball, for example, is 100. If they play a full season, 162 games. That's before the playoffs. Yeah, that is a long season. Uh, So it can get monotonous if you let it. But when they're playing games almost every day in baseball, you're always going to have the highlights. stuff. But you've got to find and this goes for any sport. The best way is to especially what we do now and people have phones they can go to to get their their news. And a lot of them do. So that's that's the era we're in right now. You've got to make them watch you and want to come to you to get the stuff. And you got to go find stories and that are going to really hit home to somebody. You know, you got to tease it properly ahead to make them come back at six or 10 o'clock, whatever it might be, and then drive them to your website for the other covers. That's how you make them keep watching and, and break the cycle because it can become monotonous because game after game after game will, for a lot of people, that gets boring. Right. So you've got to go. Find stories, the interviews you're getting. It goes back to the interviewing and being couple interviewing people and finding the nuggets that, that are interesting about a given athlete. And that's going to be the interesting part that the viewers will hit, will uh, really ring true with them. Does that like end up being most of your legwork is just talking to people and constantly asking like what's going on and how's everybody doing? Like, I mean, is that just, that has got to be the biggest part is trying to drum up those stories. Yeah, a lot of it is, to be honest with you, is in and around the stuff we do every day, you're constantly brainstorming of, okay, what, what's going on right now? Uh, what's happening? Now, I'll use an example because you and I sat down recently and did a story, and we're now in the Olympic year, and we're the Olympic station, so we're constantly thinking of what are some Olympic ties? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you being one, there's, you know, uh, other divers, and you got uh, you just got various athletes that are tied, some old Biles, the gymnast. Mm-hmm. Uh, lives here in the area. Um, you're constantly brainstorming to reach out. Then you got to find out, okay, can this work? Are they in town training? If so, when do they do it? Uh, then you reach out. What's a good day to come out? So you're constantly in the planning stages and you got to do it in advance too. You can't just wake up at nine o'clock in the morning and say, all right, what am I going to do today? Well, if you're doing that, you're probably getting beat by some somebody else, some other outlet. You got to plan ahead. Like right. I already know what I'm doing tomorrow and I'm what I'm doing 
three days from now. It's on the on the schedule. A lot can change, obviously, mm-hmm. and that's okay. But you got to have a plan for stories because it takes time to map things out and um, you know make it all come together. For sure. Do you have a story that maybe isn't memorable as a victory, like the Longhorns winning, which was amazing, but maybe just one that sticks with you, good or bad? Yeah, good. I would say. Uh, I know I keep going to back to baseball, Laura, but you know I love baseball. <laughs> uh, I grew up obviously with the Astro, watching the Astros, dreaming of a World Series championship, and I finally got to not only witness it, but I covered it in 2017. So epic. And that se- game seven win. You caught yourself, like many did, reflecting back on all the years of disappointment, all the years of close calls. And I was like, hey, this is really cool. We're at Dodgers Stadium in L.A. because I've covered them every leg that, of that playoff run. I traveled a lot each round and mm-hmm. uh, you know, knocked off the Yankees. You did the Red Sox, whoever it was. And you get to uh, the World Series and you, you see them close it out in a game seven. And you know what it meant to the city. And to all the fans, I mean, um, even my dad, who's been living here since the late 50s, 1960, when, when he moved here, he and my mom moved here, he was waiting for it. And it meant a lot to him. So that that definitely stands out as a good one. I'm trying to think of a bad one. Um, you know, there's been tough playoff losses, but you look for the heartbreaking loss. Uh, it'll probably come to me. Probably not necessarily that I covered. Does it have to be something I covered? It's up to you. Okay, so I'll I'll use the bad one because right now I'm thinking of it and it, it still hurts. Oh, um, 1993, I was working in Beaumont, Texas, and I had just gotten back from calling because I do a lot of play-by-play, and I, I got to come back on a, it was on a Sunday. I'd flew, flown back to Houston, and the Oilers were playing the Buffalo Bills in a playoff game, 1993. It was a playoff game. The Oilers were up like 35 to three or something like that. And if you're familiar with it, it's considered the biggest, one of the biggest collapses in NFL history. And I landed just in time for them to be up. And then the whole trip drive back to Beaumont over the next two hours, I almost drove off the road as they saw the lead, you know, they lost the lead, they lost the game. And I think they ended up losing 41-38 or some crazy Oh, thing. my goodness. And it now, I mean, if you ask any Orly fan now, what's the biggest heartbreak? They're going to say either the famous loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers back in the 70s during Love You Blue when they got robbed of a touchdown by Mike Renfro. I was a kid. I still, that, that hurts too. But <laughs> the collapse in Buffalo to the Bills uh, will be probably nine out of 10 Oiler fans will say, yeah, that one still stinks. Yeah, that sounds and, uh, That was terrible. Oh my gosh, that was horrible. And they were one went away from advancing to the, uh, it, it would have been either Super Bowl or AFC Championship. It was like, uh, oh, that was painful. Goes back a few years, but yeah. nothing really to that level since I've been covering as far as a loss, but uh, definitely the win was the Astros. Yeah. Well, you know, I love that you seem to experience everything with the athletes. Like you, you have the joy and you have the heartbreaks with them. And that, I think that's really cool. Now you said you did some play by play. Did you do that for radio or was for that TV also? I've done all TV on that. I, um, I was at Beaumont for my first job out of college from 89 to about 98. And that's when I left for Dallas. And that, when I got to Dallas and FSN, Fox Sports Southwest, that's when I started getting opportunities for sideline reporting for football, for Big 12 and some high school. They would just throw me out there. It was a great experience. And then I, I had a passion for doing play-by-play because I had done that in college for Sam Houston on the college level. But still, it was good, good reps. 
And uh, all of a sudden, I started getting uh, getting some opportunities to call uh, high school football state championship games, which was great. I was able to call some college games, and uh, continued to do that. I, I do Southland Conference now. Uh, I do occasional Rice, a little bit of U of H, um, occasional Big Twelve. If it's you know, it's usually on the uh, the ESPN family, usually ESPN three, ESPN plus, something like that. So I really enjoy it. I love it. Right now it's basketball season, so I'm I'm calling quite a few uh, Rice basketball men's and women's games, which I like. Keeps me in town too. I don't have to travel very far. <laughs> and uh, and then this spring, I'll uh, here in about a month, I'll start uh, doing a few Southland football games when I can, uh, because their fall season got canceled, and they're going to play a spring season of about eight games. So I'll get to do a little bit of spring football, which will be weird when it, it's usually just practice when it's spring football, but these will actually be real games. Yeah, that'll be wild. But I really enjoy that part of it. It breaks it breaks the monotony of what I do nightly here, which I love. I still love doing it. But, uh, you know, getting to play by play realm is, is really cool. I have a lot of fun with it. No, that's cool. Okay. Now I have to ask you this one because as I think about like meeting athletes, especially of like, the higher caliber, are there ever, have there ever been any athletes that you were like nervous to talk to, to interview? <laughs> I would say Tiger Woods was one. I would probably say Tiger. I, when I got a chance to interview him one time, when I worked in Dallas, he was there for the Byron Nelson championship. And this was, I forgot what year it would have been, probably uh, 2000, 2001, something like that. Uh, he was in town. He, he came to the tournament. And we were able to get a uh, interview with him for the special we were doing, and so yeah, I was definitely a little nervous there because it's like, man, this is Tiger Woods, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? You know, I got to act like I've I've been here before, man. <laughs> you know, that kind of deal. Uh, so I like to know, you know that the reporters can get nervous too. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely, and you know, knowing what he had accomplished and the fact that you know you don't get a chance to talk to him very often, I was definitely nervous about him. Trying to think who else stands out. Oh, I'll, I'll give you one. Back, uh, It goes back to when I was working in Beaumont, and we started, you know, we were here in Houston actually covering a lot. We would cover the Beaumont market, but we would drive here to cover a lot of stuff, you know, including when the Rockets won the NBA championships those two years. We covered a lot of Astros. We're Houston. Houston, that's right. <laughs> uh, so uh, we covered a lot of Astros, too, because they were uh, a good playoff team in the like, mid, mid-90s mid as mm-hmm. well. But I always remember uh, in about 93, 94, we started going also to spring training in, in Kissimmee, Florida with the Astros. The Astros would invite the outer markets like Beaumont, Corpus Christi, Austin, and they would invite us on a on a trip the Astros would plan and uh, basically pay for, uh, most of it at least. And it would be like a three-day trip. They'd fly us out, put us up, and we'd get to go cover like three, maybe four days of spring training, collect a bunch of interviews, and bring it all back to our markets for coverage. Nice. Well, being the Astros fan that I was, I remember the first time I went, it was, you know, 92, 93 area. And I remember the first time I was there, it was uh, morning practice, and their players were all kind of coming out of the field. And back then, you could interview the players as they came out before they started practice. Because most of them were just sitting in the dugout waiting to get practice going. Well, there was Craig Biggio sitting right in the Astros <laughs> dugout. And um, that was one time. And then Jeff Bagwell being the other one. Well, these are the two stars of the Astros. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, my gosh, here I am. <laughs> Again, one of those, I got to act like I've been here before. Not some Yahoo from Beaumont that doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> and um, I remember walking up to Craig, very nervous. 
And I said, I didn't call him Mr. Biggio. I did say correct. And I said, <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> uh, Mr. Biggio, can I? Uh, I said, hey, Craig, uh, uh, my name is Randy McAvoy. I work in Beaumont. Uh, hey, do you have a couple of minutes? I can grab you. We're here just for a couple of days. And he said, sure, sit down and talk to me. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't remember that. I mean, he, he and I are friends now, but because I've covered him so many years now, but I've reminded him about that. But he's interviewed, been interviewed by so many people. But that was one that I was really nervous walking up to him. It's like, I'm about to interview Craig Biggio. Same thing when I had the chance, and maybe the same trip, or maybe uh, the next year or whatever, uh, Jeff Bagwell. And when they say yes, you just kind of say, you just kind of do what you can and you just. Say a quick prayer that you can get the words out and not make a fool out of yourself before you interview somebody. But uh, those are, you know, as far as being nervous, I would rank Tiger. And then those two, when I was able to interview them for the first time, that, that really stood out. I love it. That's so awesome. Well, okay. You've seen all of these high caliber athletes. I'd love to know what sticks out to you as maybe a quality that they all share um, that maybe others lack that don't reach those heights. Have you noticed anything like that? Yeah, I would say, and I, and I see it with athletes like yourself being Olympian because y'all work so hard to get to that elite level in the world. Uh, I see it a lot. You see it in the pro level. I mean, you see a little bit of it at each level, to be honest with you, but when you reach the pinnacle of the sport, which is which is in Olympics, or uh, if you're an NBA player, major league player, you, I love hearing kind of their journey to get to where they are, and it all comes. It's simple, it seems like it, but it all comes down to: Are you willing to put the time in that it takes to get to that level? Because it's not going to happen naturally, as you well know. It's it's got to happen with constant time. It's got to happen with uh, the things you do outside of the sport to prepare, conditioning, diet, just the days you wake up and you don't feel like doing it. You got to go. You got to go to the pool. You got to go to the gym. You got to go go hit in a batting cage. You got to go take some more jump shots. You, you, you've got to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. That's what I've seen in them to become the great, the great ones and the elite ones. Um, you know, Tiger Woods didn't become what he was during that big stretch he had for however many years it was just showing up at the golf course. I mean, he practiced, he practiced more. He, when he was not playing, he was at home on the range practicing putting. That's the only way you can reach the top level. And I mean, that's what I noticed from my viewpoint. You live it, so you know what it's about. And uh, that's the only way to get there. And even, even and many who even do that still don't make it. And that's a good question, like, that I would have for you. What separates, you know, when, when you got a lot of people doing all that, but there's only a few winners. You know, there are only a few that, ex, that are, can separate themselves from the pack. And that, I find that fascinating, actually. And, um, but it's got to take a commitment. You've got to be committed to what you're doing. You've got to believe that you could be the best in what, at what you're doing. Um, you got to be a competitor. Uh, you might be competing against friends, but man, during that competition, you want to win. And right. I mean, you don't go there to lose. I'm the, I'm the same way in other ways, but not not on that level. But I'm I, yeah, I want to win at everything I do. I mean, I don't want to 
be second place, third place. I don't, that doesn't do anything for me. And it never has. <laughs> right. I want to win at whatever I do, I, you know, whether it's athletics or anything. I, you know, I want to, you know, get the best result possible. That competitive drive. Well, I love what you were saying about the putting in the time and putting in the work and you've just got to be willing. Um, I, and my coach, always, and like you said, it. those people that do that don't always make it to the top. And my coach always says, that you you have to put all that in and it's not a guarantee that you're going to make it but if you don't do it you're guaranteeing that you won't you know so it's like oh, you gotta, no question. yeah you got to put it all in and that gives you a shot is what it does well you hear a lot of people too that that are in the seasonal sports that hey you know what are you doing in the off season after you get a you know a break for your body to heal or whatever you you, not, you need to do but you know what are you doing in the off season that's going to make you better and mm-hmm. you just got you got to it's it's not stopped. You got to keep working and hopefully stay healthy when you're doing it. But you're right. The, the minute you let up is when you start losing the battle when somebody's going to overtake you. On that note, I actually interviewed Apollo Ono. Um, like I don't maybe episode 16 or somewhere in there. If, if anybody listening wants to go find that one, but he was so funny because he told me when he first kind of got into like this national level um, speed skating, they had this off season, and he thought, "Oh, sweet, I'll just take it off." <laughs> So he didn't do anything (laughs) and came into like the Olympic year, like when he was really young, like so unprepared and like kind of guaranteed that he was not going to do anything amazing, even though he had been like one of the top athletes. But that was kind of his driving force and his learning of like, wait, do I really want to do this? Because I have to put in all this extra time I didn't realize, you know, so it's uh, sometimes we have to learn um, trial by fire that way a little bit. Yeah, less lesson learned. I'm sure he uh, never did that again if he wanted <laughs> oh, no. to be at the level that no, he turned he out to be. No, he came back like Rocky style after that and for the rest of his <laughs> career, which we all witnessed. So it was amazing. But oh, Outstanding. <laughs> okay, well, so what has surprised you most about any one person that maybe you didn't expect to learn while interviewing them? You know, when you get to know somebody, you learn kind of the personal stuff. I think who comes to mind? I'll, I'll use Craig Biggio's example. You know, Craig, you know all about the baseball accomplishments, but, you know, one thing I learned, you know, many years ago, because he even now retired, he still does it. All the athletes have a, a, a passion or a cause that they really believe in, and that's what we hear a lot about because sometimes we will cover the athletes in that environment, not in their regular sporting environment. Craig Biggio is a guy that's always been what's been near and dear to his heart is the Sunshine Kids, which is an organization kids with cancer. Uh, Sunshine Kids, uh, he's done so much for that a lot of people don't even realize how much he's he's done during his off season, even during in season stuff, uh, raising money for them. And they're they got a they're a national group, but they're very big here in Houston. Uh, he holds little mini camps for them out at Minute Maid Park. So I've always enjoyed getting to know uh, what drives him in that area. And in when you go out and cover that stuff, you see the relationships that he's built over the years with the families that have maybe been involved with Sunshine Kids for a while. And he's gotten to know the families. He's gotten to know the kids. Obviously, some of the kids are no longer with us. And, you know, that you can tell that means a lot to him as well because he, he becomes connected with them. That stands out. Uh, Deshaun Watson. I'll use Deshaun Watson, the Texans quarterback. He grew up... Uh, Boys and Girls Club is a very, very uh, important to him because as a kid growing up, he was involved with that. He was, you know, it helped him get through part of his life. Same kind of thing. You, you see them get connected. When he was drafted by the Texans, you saw uh, you saw one of the one of the early things he did was really establish himself with the Houston chapter of the Boys and Girls Club. And he's really found a way to stay connected locally and on the national level with them. 
Uh, same kind of thing Greg does. He, he, he gets involved with the vets in season, not as much in season because they're on such a tight schedule during the NFL season, but off season, um, you, you see him making appearances at events, fundraisers, so on and so forth, and really connecting with some of the boys and girls involved there. And, and uh, so that's some, those two kind of stand out to me as, uh, and there's probably many others, but definitely those. It's just because I've been able to cover that side of them. Mm-hmm. And you really personally get to see what it means to them. And in Craig's case, he and his wife are, are really involved with that. That's so cool. Well, you've seen sport transform over the years. All of the sports transform over the years. Which sport do you think has transformed the most and has become the most competitive? I really think you see a balance quite a bit. I think in the NFL, and yeah, granted, there are some teams record-wise that struggle, but I think you're seeing more and more athletes come out. And and I'm going to add another sport to that, too, as I'm thinking of this. But NFL, use an example, is... yeah, you know, there's so much talent coming out of the college ranks, and I think you're you're seeing you're seeing more of a balance at, uh, throughout the league. Different teams. There's other, there's obviously strong teams that are a little more loaded than others, but uh, I think you're seeing the younger players come out more prepared and making the adjustment to that. Whereas you you used to not see that necessarily in the NFL. Mm-hmm. NBA, I think you're still seeing a little bit of a struggle. Occasionally, you'll have a rookie that comes out and can adapt, but I think there's more of a still learning curve there. But I think NFL, they come out ready. Uh, one sport I definitely see a balance and competitiveness, if that's kind of what you're getting at on the question, is uh, I'll say pro golf. Um, oh. And that goes for the LPGA Tour and PGA Tour. you got college golfers that come out and are just lighting it up. And really? Whether whether the, the male golfers come out and the distance is there. I mean, uh, you're, getting, you're seeing them. Like if you look at the PGA Tour, you're – and look at all the winners, say, last year and uh, maybe the last couple of years and how old they are, you're getting a lot of young winners, uh, guys that maybe came out of school early or maybe finished school and, and were able to make the tour, get their tour card. Uh, you're seeing a lot of young winners coming out and going head-to-head with the established veterans on the PGA Tour and winning, which I think is great for the sport. But they're coming out, again, similar to NFL, they're coming out prepared to compete at a very high level. I think that's changed, if, uh, and I think Tiger helped that. I think that that's the Tiger factor. When in, back in his heyday, the Tiger got factor. so. Yeah, I think it does. It really did. When he was doing what he did, so yeah. many people got into the sport at a young age, and I think you're still seeing the carryover from that of uh, guys playing at the co- high school, college level, and then when they get out of college, they're ready. And uh, LPGA Tour, I think women's golf is very played at a very high level as well. And they're going on the LPGA tour, and I'm not saying they're going to dominate, but they're definitely a factor on the tour. So I think golf definitely is one that stands out to me. Interesting. Wow, I, I did not see that coming. That's really cool. Um, it's and it's amazing. There's some really great golfers out there that are like 22, 23 years old. They're like knocking off guys that have been out there for 10 or 15 years already. <laughs> That's so cool, and it's just amazing to see what one person can do. You know what I mean? One person coming up and and, and doing something incredible inspires so many to change what they're doing and, and do something also, you know, I, th- I just think that's, Oh, it does. Well, another tiger factor is the way he took care of himself and really uh, hit the weight room. Mm-hmm. Well, golfers never did that. I mean, you got guys out of shape, uh, you know, the tiger changed all that. Now you look, if you're watching golf on TV, look at it, look at how buff these guys are and how <laughs> great a shape the ladies are on the LPGA tour. 
Yeah, a lot of that's Tiger. Right? Annika Swordstam, who was a great player on the LPGA Tour, and a lot of people looked up to her for many, many years. And what the work she put in in the, in the weight room and the conditioning has changed that sport. I mean, if you're coming out out of shape, you're probably not going to win very often. <laughs> it's so cool. Well, I know we had a Zoom interview last spring talking about the postponement of the 20, uh, Tokyo 2020 Olympics. So besides a lot of Zoom interviews, like how has covering <laughs> sports changed since COVID? Well, that's a good question, too, because you know we're in a different phase during COVID now because you get a little bit more access. And uh, But in the early stages, as you know, in the spring, man, everything was shut down. Uh, Zoom was just coming out. I mean, I wish I would have bought stock in Zoom when it was happening. <laughs> I mean, that thing's just shot through the roof. Yeah, that's, Zoom is still a big part of it. And I, I, I don't know if it's going to go away necessarily so, real soon uh, because right now on the pro level – like we just found out uh, spring training starts in a, in a week or two for the Astros and per in, in Major League Baseball, whoever covers spring training, and we will, we'll be down in Florida, but all the interviews will be on Zoom. We're not going to be able to interview anybody in person. And even if they're comfortable doing it, it's just an MLB rule. They're trying to keep them in a kind of a Did somewhat bubble. of a bubble. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely changed things because that's still a factor. Now you are seeing – a little bit more now in person stuff, even if it's distance, which I, obviously I prefer. So the way that as far as changing, definitely when things were shut down, you had to go track down the athletes. I had to come, you know, I, I reached out to you. We were able to do an interview. Uh, maybe some, maybe been some baseball players or Rockets players or Texans players that we had to reach out to and find out we, whether we did it on Zoom or, you know, occasionally they would let us out. They would let us come out to meet them at wherever they were, you know, could find a place to train. Uh, again, that was the early first several months of the of the, of the pandemic. So um, Wait, was it, that hard changed. to keep? Was that hard to keep things interesting, though, because there was no sports going on for a while either? It was. It was. It seemed like every story is how our athletes dealing with this pandemic to stay in shape, do this or that. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the. A lot of the stories actually were very similar. It's just with different people involved and different approaches. We had, I don't know who it was, one of the Texas players, because, you know, they weren't allowed at the facility at NRG Stadium. They had to, like, find a workout place that was open because if it was a rehab center as well and a workout place, those were able to stay open right. with certain rules in place. But if it's just a workout place, well, those were closed. So a lot of these guys, I remember who the player was. I'm going blank on the player. One one a, a prominent one, but it was uh, one of the players on the roster. He was working out in his garage. You know, he had to set up just whatever it took to stay in shape. So, so, if you couldn't go out there, we would say, "Well, can you take pictures of what you're doing?" So you started seeing a lot of images and stuff. If it wasn't video, so the athletes were becoming the, a bit of the reporter for you. Huh? <laughs> they were, yes. Yeah. Like, hey, can you uh, text me a couple pictures of you working out or whatever <laughs> it might be? And um, so we started using more of that, more of you know, a company called Getty, which has a bunch of images and. Tied into Zoom, so it it's been crazy. Now it's still that way. We're still dealing with Zoom on the collegiate level for the most part. Most of the universities are doing Zoom interviews as well. So you miss the you miss the contact. That's what you miss. You miss the face to face stuff with them. And uh, as strange as it is, but you you understand they're they're trying to stay safe, keep it safe as they can to try to get a season in. NBA had to do it with the bubble. Baseball had somewhat of a bubble this past season. And NBA had a really big bubble, uh, along with Major League Soccer as well. It's out in Orlando. So 
they were able to get their seasons in. So that that's the goal and you got to go by the rules. Yeah. Is there any major sporting event or maybe an athlete that you haven't covered that you would still love to? A sporting event? Yeah, or an athlete. Yeah, I'll, I'll say uh, a sporting event is, uh, you're going to laugh, but I've never actually physically covered the Olympics. Oh, really? Uh, I've covered them from here, but the summer games have always been in late July, right when NFL training camps open. So I've always have to be here for that. And we, we send crews to the Olympics. And uh, so I've never physically been to wherever the games are. So I would love to check that box one day. The Winter Olympics, I don't necessarily interest me as much as too, the summer too cold. games. I just, <laughs> hey, definitely too cold. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the summer games, I just like because of the variety of sports that I'm more interested in. Yeah. Uh, but maybe one day I'll get to do it, but it, the timing has always been bad. I've, I've definitely missed that. That and the Masters golf tournament. I've always wanted to cover the Masters or at least attend it. I do the lottery every year, try to get tickets, and I've never won. Uh, <laughs> one of these days I'll do that. I'll hopefully get lucky. But um, but the Olympics, definitely, I've covered literally Everything. I mean, I, I've covered. You really have. You name the championship, I, I've covered it. Maybe I, you know, maybe I'd love to go cover the Kentucky Derby one day because all its history with that. Yeah, I haven't covered that before, but all the major stuff I've covered multiple times, and it, it never gets old. But the Olympic Games would be cool to cover. You know, I don't know if I can handle it for like a whole month being wherever <laughs> the location is, but I'd love to go there for a couple of weeks for sure and hang out. And, but we, we always send a crew, like we'll send a crew to Tokyo. We'll probably send five or six people to Tokyo, and uh, they cover all of our day parts of our news, morning, evening news, and so we're covered for that in the web. But the access you get for the athletes is not necessarily like you don't get as much as you want, and you got to go by the Olympic rules. So basically the we go by the interviews that are put up by the network, which is great because we're NBC. And uh, the, the people there that go cover it tell a lot of feature stories while they're there. They may catch up with athletes away from the venue or maybe their families are there. You know, that's where you start telling the feature stories. So that's why a lot of our news people will go that's, news side. And, yeah. uh, but I get that a lot. Like, well, yeah, you're a sports guy. You don't go. And I always have to explain, well, the timing of it, <laughs> NFL training camp, every, forever many years now, I've always had to be at training camp. So Yeah, that makes sense. Well, if you do ever get to go, the Olympics is not like anything else. It is. It's just so unique. That's what I hear from everybody's covered. Them. I would love to do that. I would love to see a ceremony after an event when, and again, you've done it. You know what it's like, you know, after an event, when they're presenting the medals, that would be really cool to see. And uh, again, maybe one day I'll get to. I, ho- I hope you do. That would be really cool. Well, okay. Where can people tune in to watch you on TV if they're local to Houston or online if they're not? Well, uh, yeah, here in Houston, obviously KPRC Channel 2 or the NBC, a different, if you have cable or direct TV or satellite, whatever, it's going to be different channels, but we're one of the locals, NBC. We're also on uh, click2houston.com. That's our station website. And we stream all of our newscasts and stuff. And so even if you're a Houstonian that lives elsewhere, maybe listening to the podcast and you want to keep up with Houston news, weather and sports, whatever, you can always watch our stream, which we have a lot of people doing now because pull it up on your phone, your uh, computer at home, wherever you want to do it. And so that's another way to reach people. So uh, website, click2houston.com. And then, of course, in town, check us out.
Yeah, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And I know Click2 Houston has an app also. Uh, we actually watched that on our Apple TV when I was watching your Sunday night news coverage of the Super Bowl and everything. So um, yeah, this live stream works great. So that's an option as well. And we'll make sure to um, put your Instagram handle and everything in the show notes as well so people can find you. But Randy, this has been a lot of fun getting to switch places with you for a change. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. It's been a lot of fun. Anytime. And uh, you're a great interviewer. You've done this before. You know what you're doing. <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun, Laura. Always good to catch up with you. And as I've told you before, uh, best of luck. You, you got a big spring and summer ahead and uh, best wishes to you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests. And it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.